want to thank you for subscribing and listening in to our podcast today. Uh, please rate and review us. We would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor, you want more information about our church, text CONNECT to 903-586-6520 and we will follow up with you. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, you can text GIVE to 903-586-6520 and click on the link and you will have the option of giving one time or on a regular basis. We would greatly appreciate your support and thanks again for listening. Have a great week. I want to begin by asking you this. How would you respond if there was a good man who is standing trial for a crime that he didn't commit? Let's say the, the prosecution so wanted a conviction that they, they even changed the charges against this man before trial, accusing him of things he was clearly not guilty of. What would you say if the judge in this case declared this man to be not guilty but allowed the trial to continue on and eventually sentenced him to death? Hopefully you'd be outraged by that, right? Guess what? That's exactly what happened to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, King Jesus. You have your Bibles, turn to Luke 23. It's been a while since we've been in the Gospel of Luke. We have two chapters remaining in this book. Lord willing, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the next few months, but Lord willing, my plan is that we finish the Gospel of Luke before Easter. We are in the portion of the book where Jesus is standing trial before the Gentiles. We've already studied the trials of Jesus before the Jews. We said back in, in November when we studied the Jewish trials of Jesus that he went through a total of six trials. There were three before the Jews and three before the Gentiles. We learned back in November that there are glorious truths for us to learn about our Lord's person and work from Luke's account of the trials of Jesus. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 of Luke 23 this morning, and we're going to find that in these verses, no exception. We're going to learn a lot of truths here as well, several. Three things Luke highlights for us in this trial that demand our attention. Luke highlights these three things in five verses to make this point. You have it up on the screen. Jesus is a falsely accused and innocent king. That is your truth for the week. That is Luke's point that he's making as he gives us this narrative. Let's look at point number one. I want you to notice the guilty charges against Jesus. 
Look at verse 1 of Luke 23. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. Stop there for just a minute. Context tells us that the whole company here is the Sanhedrin, highest court in the Jewish land. They were like the Supreme Court in the, in the first century in Jewish culture. There were 70 members of the council made up of scribes, elders, rabbis, priests, Pharisees, and Sadducees. In the previous passage, we learned they put Jesus on trial and they convict him of blasphemy. Luke twenty-two sixty-seven. they say, If you are the Christ, tell us. Verse 70, they ask, Are you the Son of God? This is why Jesus is on trial before the Jewish court. It's because he claimed to be the Christ of God, the Messiah, the Son of God. They didn't believe him to be. So they ruled that he was guilty of blasphemy. So in their court, Jesus is found guilty on the charge of blasphemy. We said last time we were in Luke, the ironic thing about this ruling is they're the ones guilty of it, right? Because Jesus was the Christ. He is the Son of God. And they mocked him, condemned him, and killed him. Peter says as much after Jesus' resurrection and ascension in the courtyard of the temple in Acts 3, he made this very charge against them. He said, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. They were the blasphemers, but they failed to see it. They condemned and killed the author of life, the Lord of glory, King Jesus, because they were blind who he truly was. They failed to see him as the Christ, and they rejected and killed him. But at first, they're just working to get a conviction. They're not there yet. They had several hoops to jump through. One, they had to convince Pilate that Jesus was guilty because they wanted Jesus crucified. At this time, the Jews were under Roman rule, so they could not, under Roman rule, have Jesus crucified. They couldn't carry out that death penalty, right? Now, they did on occasion try to kill Jesus. They tried to toss him off of Mount Precipice in Nazareth. They tried to have him stoned another time. But they couldn't have him crucified, and they wanted him crucified. Because Pilate was the governor of Judea and was in Jerusalem at this time during Passover, proper protocol was to appeal to him. Now, Pilate normally resided in Caesarea near the Mediterranean Sea, but he would stay in Jerusalem during Passover 
because the place at this time would be flooded with, with Jewish people from all over. And this really made Pilate and other Roman rulers nervous because sometimes when the Jewish people would get together, they would plot and rebel. So he would plant spies amongst them so he could know what's going on to keep the peace. That detail is important because this council is going to bring Jesus before Pilate and they're going to accuse him of those types of things. They wanted a guilty verdict. They wanted to have Jesus crucified. This is difficult for a couple of reasons. First reason, Jesus was not guilty of the charges they bring before Pilate. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. Second, the members of the the Sanhedrin and, and the council here, Pilate, the Jewish religious leaders and Pilate, they had a rocky relationship. They viewed him as very disagreeable. Pilate was a greedy man. He was combative. He was condescending toward them. He had little desire to make them happy. I read in uh, extra-biblical historical literature that he once put up pagan Roman banners in the Jewish temple. He would regularly send spies, as we talked about, into the temple to silence Jewish protesters. He didn't trust them. He didn't like them. And the feelings were mutual. So the question then becomes, from the Jewish religious leader's perspective, why go this route? Why not handle matters in-house when it comes to Jesus? We're not told this, this act might have been them trying to further deflect the blame of Jesus' conviction away from them and place it on the Roman leaders. Remember, Pilate tries to deflect the blame washes his hands, even though Jesus couldn't have gone to the cross without him. And they eventually get so desperate, they say, his blood be on us and our children. Wow, right? So they might have wanted to deflect blame. They also probably wanted Jesus viewed as someone accursed by God. They knew a crucifixion, Roman crucifixion would have done it, right? Probably an appropriate end for a blasphemer like Jesus. Deuteronomy 21.23 says, A hanged man is cursed by God. This is how they viewed Jesus. Someone cursed by God. Look at this quote by Bruce Barton up on the screen. The Jewish... Leaders wanted Jesus executed on a cross, a method of death that they believed brought a curse from God. See Deuteronomy 21-23. They wanted the death to appear Roman-sponsored so that the crowds wouldn't blame them. Possible. Their only hurdle was convincing Pilate of Jesus' guilt. They, they, they knew to convict 
Jesus, they have to change the charges. You know why? Pilate doesn't care about someone convicted of blasphemy against the, the, the God of the, the Jewish people. Romans believed in many gods. He didn't care about that. So they changed the charges and they falsely accused Jesus of three things. Let's look at them. Luke 23, verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. That's a bold-faced lie. And saying that he himself is Christ, a king. While they found him guilty of blasphemy, the charges they bring before Pilate is that he's misleading the nation, forbidding the Jewish people to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. They accused Jesus of being a rebel against Rome. All of these are lies, what they're accusing him of. Now, he is the king, but not in the way they're accusing him. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they stick to these charges to convict Jesus. And while the injustice of that, folks, should upset us, it's important to remind you once again, God is in control here. He absolutely is. He's in control over the proceedings and is accomplishing his work of salvation through the wicked actions of these unethical, corrupt, dishonest, crooked religious leaders. Peter during his sermon at Pentecost, reminded his Jewish audience that while Jesus was, was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God is very much in control. And he is at work as Jesus is standing trial and is unfairly and unjustly treated during this crucifixion all apart of the divine plan in Scripture. See, the Old Testament tells us that the Messiah was going to suffer, was going to be offered up, was going to be killed, was going to be offered up by God to be a sacrifice for sin, all a part of the divine plan. You see it in Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, elsewhere. The religious leaders were doing their best, even through unethical measures, to charge Jesus so that he would be cursed through crucifixion. But the very fact that he is offered up to the Romans and died a painful death on a shameful cross was proof that he was the Messiah. Now that does not get the religious leaders off the hook. Just because God's in control and working His will here. Peter makes it clear that they are guilty in their role in Jesus' death. It says in Acts 2.23, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He says, you Jews brought false charges against Christ, you blackmailed Pilate, more on that next time, and crucified and killed 
Jesus by the hands of lawless men. You did it through the lawless Romans. And the Romans aren't off the hook either. Pilate is very much to blame as well. More on that later. So this trial and these false charges were, were wicked. But they happen in accordance with the divine plan of God. While these men feel as if they are, they are in the driver's seat, we learn, once again, they're mere pawns in the plan of God. God is making moves in and through them to accomplish His great work of redemption. So believers, here's, here's the application for us. Take comfort in knowing God uses people both good and bad, situations both right and wrong for His purposes. Our joy and His glory. That's good news. That's good news when times get dark, and they're extremely dark at this time. Does He ever restrict evil? Absolutely. When it's a threat to His plan of redemption, which means that whatever God allows is not a threat to his kingdom purposes. And we learn not only does God allow these things, he works in and through them to accomplish his will. And he works in that way today. We should look for that. Trust in that. Not get discouraged when things don't go the way we would like them to. But look for God's hand. Providence. Acts of injustice should always upset us. But we should never lose sight of the fact that God is at work in the darkness. And He is accomplishing His purposes. He is driving history. So those are the guilty charges. Now let's look at the question of treason. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Luke 23. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the king. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. They accused Jesus of treason, of being a threat to peace in the Roman Empire, a threat monetarily, a threat politically. He is disrupting the peace. He is encouraging a tax revolt. He is a threat to the throne. All of those things were lies. And it seems that Pilate knows this. Notice, he skips right over the first two charges, right? He didn't even camp out there. He just goes to the third one. Are you the king of the Jews? He knew Jesus was not a threat to Rome politically. Pilate was in Jerusalem during a holy week. We said there was a great buzz about Jesus throughout the city on this particular Passover. They welcomed him in the streets, greeting fit for a king as he rides on a donkey. During the triumphal entry, they're crowding into the temple each day to hear him speak. Remember we said earlier, Pilate would, would often send spies into the temple to squash any sort of threat to Rome. There's nothing about Jesus and his followers 
that Pilate views as a threat. Remember we said that when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he doesn't storm the Roman garrisons, right? And try to drive out the Roman leaders. Where does he go first? He goes to the temple. And he drives out the religious leaders. While they accused him of stirring up the people and teaching all throughout Judea and Galilee, even to Jerusalem, Jesus was more of a threat to religious leaders that Pilate despised rather than the Roman leaders that he led. Second, they accuse him, accuse him of uh, leading a tax revolt. Now, this accusation, if it were true, could lead to one getting in a lot of trouble, even execution. The Romans knew that the collecting of taxes and keeping the peace in Roman-occupied lands was essential for the empire to remain strong. If Jesus, with following he had, was a threat to these things, Pilate may have agreed to convict him and have him put to death. No such thing was happening. While Jesus was a threat to the Jewish religious leaders making money off their own people, right? They were, they were ripping one another off from, uh, in, in the area of buying and selling sacrifices in the courtyard of the temple and in the exchange of money. Remember, while Jesus ran them out and turned over the tables, when he was asked, whether or not to pay tribute to Caesar, what does Jesus say? Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. And we explain that, meaning give Caesar his coins, give God your life. That was radical. He had a rabbi in the company of zealots encouraging disciples to pay tribute to Rome. That might have reached Pilate's ears, right? So that charge was a lie. They're lying on Jesus in hopes of a conviction. These religious leaders were an evil, unethical, corrupt, dishonest, crooked bunch. They also charged Jesus with saying that he himself is Christ the King. Now, some, when they hear that, they say, well, that, that charge is correct, right? He is the King. When he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Remember what Peter says? You're the Christ of God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says that he is correct. Jesus claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah, the king, but not in the way they accuse him. Remember, they believed the Messiah was going to come as this powerful military leader and liberator. They believed he would come in power, overthrow the oppressive Rulers of his day kicked the Romans out, reestablish a physical and earthly kingdom for the Jewish people. They believed the Messiah was going to come in this way, and they were going to share in his victory and reap all the benefits that come with that. They're accusing Jesus of that. And that is what Pilate is asking Jesus. Are you this kind of king? Is this who you are? He didn't care if Jesus was claiming to be the Christ but whether he was trying to be king in a Roman empire. So he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Are you this type of king? 
Have you come to overthrow Roman rule? That would be treason. He had not come for that reason. But he did come to be the king of the Jews. That, I believe, is the reason he gives a mild affirmative here. Did you find that strange? His response, have you found that strange over the years? Sort of a mild affirmative. He says, you have said so. I'm not the Messiah they're accusing me of being. I'm not a threat to Rome politically, but I am a threat to these Jewish religious leaders spiritually. Here's the truth of the matter. If Jesus wanted to be a threat to Rome, he absolutely could be. Politically and militarily, he could be. He has angel armies under his command, ready for their orders. If it were God's will for him to overthrow this powerful nation, he could do it like that. Just read the Old Testament. We have entire narratives of God destroying powerful nations. He could certainly do it again. That's not why Christ came this time. Christ at this time was not a threat to Rome politically. Pilate knew it. He said as much. He did not come to establish a physical earthly kingdom at this time. He came to usher in a heavenly kingdom. Call for people to repent of their sin and surrender their lives to his lordship and live under the rule and reign of God. He was a threat to a personal throne, wasn't he? The tiny throne of the kingdom of self. He came to rule in the hearts of and over the lives of people. Pilate did not view him as a political threat because he wasn't. The religious leaders correctly viewed him as a religious threat because he was. That's the reason he came and they rejected him. This is why many reject him today. Many are opposed to Jesus today because if they're being honest, they want to be the king. We live in a world where we see these tiny rulers running around everywhere, right? Ruling over their lives, acting like they are. Sitting on the tiny throne of the kingdom of self. And and if we're honest, we, we wrestle with this. Wanting to be the king over our lives. People don't like the idea of someone coming in and taking over their rule. Which is exactly what Christ does. When he comes, he comes to reign supreme. He comes as the king. He comes to reign over us. The enemy has come to defeat his sin and death. The works of the devil and his demons. He has come to save sinners from God's coming judgment by enduring God's judgment for them and restoring them to a right relationship with God. But for that to happen, we must forsake our way. Step up off the tiny throne of the kingdom of self and bow to the king of all kings. They didn't like that message, so they killed Christ for it. What's your response going to be to him today? Have you bowed before the king of glory? Is Christ Lord of your life? Have you surrendered your life to the king of kings? Someone is king over your life today. 
Who is it? Is it you or is it Creator King Jesus? Christ came from heaven to earth to rule in our hearts and over our lives. And what he calls for you to do is to give the life that he has given you back to him. He wants the life he created, the breath that he gave you, the heart that he has given you, given back to him. What will your response be to him today? Do not respond like the religious leaders. Don't resist him. Do not reject him. Bow before him today. Give your life up and over to him. Last point. We've looked at the false charges and the question of treason. Now let's end with the innocent verdict. Look at verse 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Now again, like with the question, Pilate asked in verse 3, his meaning behind this statement is different from what Luke is communicating throughout his gospel message. I want you to see that. Pilate, when he says, I find no guilt in this man, is not saying Jesus is without sin. He's simply saying, Jesus is not guilty of the charges brought against him. Luke, however, throughout this gospel message, is letting us, the readers, know that Jesus is innocent completely. He is without sin. What he is showing us in this trial is that Jesus is the Christ of God, the only innocent man in all of history, the king of all kings, who while he was without sin was wrongfully accused, unfairly convicted, and killed like a sinner in the place of sinners. That's who Luke is showing us Jesus is here. Pilate found no fault in Jesus because, surprise, surprise, there was no fault in Jesus, right? The only issue the religious leaders had with Jesus was that he claimed to be the Christ of God, which he was. He's not only innocent of these charges, he's innocent of all charges without sin completely. He did not have to die. As a consequence of, of sin is death. He's without sin. Instead, Jesus chose to die. No one took his life from him, right? He laid it down freely as our substitute and perfect sacrifice. Luke is showing us that here in this story. While he was charged with blasphemy and treason, there was no guilt in him. Yet surprisingly, Pilate allows for this charade to carry on. I don't get some of these people over the years who have read this account, explained this account, and tried to view Pilate in a positive light. Pilate's a coward. He's not innocent of Jesus' blood. His hands aren't washed clean. It's a charade. He, he allows it to go on, right? He sends him to the cross, innocent. But first he tries to get out of it. He sends him to stand before Herod. That's Herod the Tetrarch that was ruling in Galilee. We're told, look at it, we're almost finished. Verses 6 and 7, 6 through 7. 
when Pilate heard this, heard what? Verse 5, that Jesus was stirring things up with the people throughout all Judea and from Galilee, Pilate asked whether Jesus was a Galilean. Is he a Galilean? When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at the time. Pilate passes the buck to Herod because Jesus was a Galilean. We'll look at Jesus' trial before Herod and back to Pilate next week. But we will see during this trial that neither find fault with Jesus. Pilate declares him innocent multiple times, yet he still sends him to be crucified. Why? Because Pilate feared men and his own reputation and losing his position of power more than he feared God. Luke, in his gospel of these events, emphasizes the injustice that takes place with the trial, conviction, and crucifixion of Jesus. And again, while Pilate and the wicked religious leaders are to blame, all of this, again, happens in accordance with God's plan for our redemption. While we have turned away from God, sinned against Him, set ourselves against Him, we are told that God, for our sake, made His Son Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Christ came, He lived, He died, He rose again so that we who forsake our sin and believe on Him can be forgiven and restored to God. What is your response going to be to Jesus today? We see two responses in this passage, and, and neither are good. We see active rejection, and we also see passive neglect. The religious leaders are openly and adamantly opposed to Jesus. They rejected him outright. Pilate's rejection was more subtle, right? He remained neutral. He didn't find fault in Jesus, but also did not believe that Jesus' cause was worth fighting for. Daryl Bach, in his commentary on Luke, argues both constitute rejection. We cannot remain neutral concerning Jesus. He said, you're either for me or you're against me. We're either a child of God's or we are his enemy. There's no in-between. You can't be like the Doobie Brothers. Jesus is just all right with me. can't be neutral when it comes to Jesus. He is either your Lord or you are his enemy. Which one is it? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus? If not, I invite you to this morning, turn from your sin, surrender your life to the Lord Jesus, and be saved. Let's pray.